Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with performance and how to improve the human experience. Twice a week, I explore the latest science, technology, and tactics with experts in various fields of human optimization. I'm your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Smart conversations with smart people. This is the enjoyment that I get out of this podcast. I love dissecting different domains of performance and giving you guys bite-sized pieces of actionable information to help you optimize your performance. And today we get to dissect many different domains with one of the smartest people in the world. I have to give a shout out to Dr. Scott Scherer for providing the introduction here. My guest today is Dr. Ted Achacoso. Dr. Achacoso earned his college degree in biology at the age of 18, and he earned his doctor of medicine degree at the age of 22. This bio continues to be more and more impressive as we go, and I promise I'm not going to read the whole thing because that would take up the entire time of the podcast. At 25, he was a fellow of interventional neuroradiology, a research professor of pharmacology and toxicology, and a clinical professor of neurology in Manila. At 28, he became a professor of medical informatics and of interventional neuroradiology in Washington, D.C., where he also performed artificial intelligence research biased towards connectionist systems. At 40, he traded currencies using artificial intelligence predictive techniques for a private fund. And at 45, he retrained in interventional endocrinology, aka anti-aging medicine, and in nutritional medicine in Paris, becoming double board certified in both specialties. Dr. Ted has been published in numerous peer-reviewed scientific journals, holds U.S. patents, as well as software algorithms, provides TV and podcast interviews, and delivers lectures all around the world. He currently has a tricontinental practice in health optimization medicine, which we get into quite a bit on this podcast, which is a clinical framework that he pioneered to include health management in a disease management practice. Dr. Ted also formulated the blue canatine nootropic trochee a product of the transcriptions line of Smarter Not Harder Inc. And that last part is something that I'm so, so excited is coming to the market very soon. Dr. Ted is extremely generous with his time. Case in point, he blocked out his entire afternoon to speak with me. As a result, we talked for well over two hours. So I decided to break out our conversation into two separate podcast episodes. The second episode will come out next week, but today we get into jet lag, specifically what Dr. Ted uses on himself to optimize his jet lag running a tri-continental, that is the United States, Europe, as well as in the Philippines, practice. We talk about dynamic systems, consciousness, the mathematics of consciousness, chaos theory, and so much more. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash home. Enjoy my episode with Dr. Ted Achacoso. Dr. Ted Achacoso, there are so many things I want to talk to you about today, so thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. 
So way down, way around the world. <laughs> you are way across the world. <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, before we get into some of that way across the world life that you live, you know, there's a broad number of topics that I want to cover here today. And so for everybody listening, I'm just going to rattle off a few of those. We may not even get to all of them. We may go down a few wormholes here, but I, I want to, of course, talk to you and Dr. Ted about your background, things like dynamic systems and networks, uh, health optimization, medicine, peptides, nootropics, psychedelics, and so much more. So shall we get started? Yes. Fire away. All right. So the first thing that I want people to realize is that you emailed me saying that you had come from DC to Zurich and now you're in Manila. Yeah. That that brings about a logical question which a lot of the audience has to deal with which is how do you how do you compensate or deal with jet lag? Well, um how for me, the problem more is how do you compensate or deal with long-term jet lag, right? I've been <laughs> yeah. uh, doing this for the past 10 years. Um, and um, I, I, I work uh, 30 days of the quarter here in Asia. Uh, and I spend uh, quite a bit of my time in Europe as well. Um, when you're young and your body is young, you, you could actually uh, do it by brute force. But mm-hmm. um, when you're older like I am, you have to manage a few basic things. Um First is, you know, the lifestyle that you have when you are traveling. You know, as soon as I get in a plane, I already assume the time zone of the place that I'm going to. Uh, I already assume the times for eating um, that I do. One of the big secrets that I have for life and for for jet lag as well is uh, having a restricted feeding window, right? So... Mm -hmm. um, or I call it a, a small, a shortened feeding window. So I, I only eat in about a window of about eight hours a day. So when I'm in Washington, D.C., I eat from uh, 12 noon to 8 p.m. You know, uh, and then adjust that window accordingly wherever I am. So here in Manila, it's a 12-hour time difference and we're ahead. And I do, um, uh, I, I eat my breakfast at around 7.30 and I stop eating at 3.30 in the afternoon. So uh, the, the last thing that... Um, that uh, turns over is your gut. So you uh, actually have to take care of your gut. Uh, the, the, uh, the other thing that's expected of you, of course, uh, if you're running a company or if you're running a country, uh, just like some of my uh, clients are, it is that you're expected to perform right when you land, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where you actually have to um, uh, put in your... Um, uh, the way I deal with this is, is having uh, the major hormones actually uh, optimized in my body. So, mm-hmm. um, for example, uh, right now I just shifted my cycle to Manila, right? So all my daytime hormones like my thyroid, my cortisol, etc., are not being produced uh, within the first few days that I have arrived here. So uh, even growth hormone, for example, which goes in four pulses in men, will not be produced uh, during the daytime here. But the problem is either you have to deliver a lecture, a speech, or, or see patients, uh, and so forth. So uh, what you do is you actually make uh, those hormones as they should be coming on in your body. So in the morning, um, 
So when you're exposed to yourself to sunlight, uh, your skin is exposed to sunlight, your cortisol level rises, uh, you know, uh, it wakes you up, your thyroid hormone also rises. So the, the, the issue with um, uh, hormonal systems is that they come in cycles slower uh, to come on. I, I like to call the hormonal system the grandma um, mm. that, you, that you have to coax. You cannot, you cannot say do this. You have to force it to come online. You, you have to co- coax it rather to come online. So, um, uh, so you have to, to um, make sure that you balance all of the major hormones. It's, uh, people say, well, it's expensive. Well, how much are you worth? Are you, would you like to treat yourself at a, uh, uh, as a Lamborghini or as a, you know, some other cheap car. So, um, uh, uh, so that's um, um, uh, I teach my clients also how to do it this for themselves because mm-hmm. um, majority of them uh, do a lot of uh, uh, this kind of jet settings to manipulate the hormones according to the time zones that they're in. But I never um, I never give them uh, in single doses. And as you know, I'm uh, I like networks i like seeing things in terms of networks so your entire network of major hormones are actually optimized at the proper times and you're able to perform right away as soon as you land Mm -hmm. and so can we go into some of these things that these uh, people or maybe some just uh, sharing your own personal example um Mm -hmm. What are some of the tools you mentioned optimizing hormones? Are you taking the hormones mm-hmm. themselves directly? Uh, you said sunlight as well. What are some of the other tools in the toolkit of Dr. Ted? Um, well, it's, it, it, it's simple. Uh, for me, it's like grounding because you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're out in touch with the earth. You, you go bare feet or, um, mo- uh, all bathtubs are grounded. You could take a nice warm bath uh, too. Uh, it is basically addressing, um, uh, you know, your light, water, and magnetisms. Um, and then you expose yourself to the light cycles of the place that you're in. You know, your your tendency is actually to, you know, you want to go sleep. You're so tired and so on, but you got to force yourself uh, out there in the sun uh, so that your body body uh, adapts a lot faster. Now, in terms of hormones, it's um, uh, I, I usually, uh, when I wake up in the morning, um, you know, I have my uh, thyroid hormone. And then um, uh, the one that regulates the clock uh, actually quite well is the cortisol, or you can give hydrocortisone, you know, and uh, it's given in four doses, uh, like at 8 a.m., 12 noon, 5 p.m., and 9 p.m., and that simulates with a proper dose that simulates actually the rise and fall of cortisol during the day. Um, and then um, uh, growth hormone, I uh, actually um, uh, give it at night. Um, you know, uh, uh, just to to aid in the growth hormone growth hormone naturally uh the first hour of sleep. But within the first three days, I usually mimic the male uh hormone by injecting the hormone itself uh which is uh which comes in three four injections for at least three days um but to your other questions i do rotate um the 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 nightly dose of growth hormone is rotated i use uh 
uh, several uh, secretor gogs, um, mm-hmm. you know, the growth growth hormone uh, releasing hormone um, peptides that are uh, available uh, currently. Uh, uh, so you because when you're using this long term, you actually don't want any negative feedback, even if you're using very low doses, right? The mm-hmm. fear of this is that uh, you're, you use it at a very high dose, like bodybuilders do. No, you don't. You actually use very, very small. Uh, you use very uh, less than you uh, in most cases. Um, and in fact, when uh, endocrinologists learn how small the doses are, they're actually shocked. It's like those things actually work. But you know, we're not treating disease. We're, we'll help the body uh, re-optimize back to its levels when it's in another time zone. Um, uh, so if uh, releasing hormones are available, then I take breaks and take releasing hormones um, to, uh, as, as a substitute. Um, and then, uh, you know, you have to aid your pancreas for, for those, you know, I don't take insulin. Um, uh, I, I, I just, uh, I acid acid uh, every meal, um, mm-hmm. that I, that I, that I take. And then, um, so, so essentially you're taking a look at the major endocrine. Uh, so you take a look at your, um, uh, pineal. So I take melatonin at night, mm-hmm. um, and then you take a look at the pituitary. I, have a, I take growth hormone at night. Then I took a, like a thyroid, which is uh, I, t- I take as soon as I wake up in the morning. And then I take care of my pancreas by taking lipoic acid with each meal. And then I take care of my uh, adrenals. Um, so essentially what I do is uh, go from the top down of the major endocrine nexuses, right? So from the top, you have the pituitary. Uh, the pineal gland, uh, where I take melatonin, the pituitary, I take growth hormone, the thyroid, I take thyroid hormones. For the thymus, I actually take uh, a couple of thymus glandular capsules, um, and it aids my immune system quite a bit. And then for my uh, pancreas, I don't take insulin, I take alpha lipoic acid with each meal. For my uh, adrenals, I take hydrocortisone in the proper dose at the proper timing of the day. And then uh, for my gonads, I take testosterone. Uh, sub- I inject it subcutaneously twice, twice a week at a very low dose. Mm-hmm. So that's how I, that's my program. Um, that's my personal program. So that is extremely comprehensive. And there's probably somebody listening here right now that says, "How could you possibly do that without a doctor?" Um, any response? To that um, I I have I am a doctor and mm-hmm. my my patients are not doctors you know yeah. they they run companies they run countries they run you know um, important things um, according to what we deem is important um, but um, uh, I teach them how to inject uh, I teach them how to adjust the doses uh, for example there was this um, woman uh, who who basically uh, owned a very huge uh, restaurant and catering business, and uh, which was countrywide. And um, you know, she used to be um, get very angry and agitated uh, during meetings. And I told her how to uh, modulate or uh, the use of hydrocortisone, you know, uh, before the meetings, so she would actually uh, calm down and and. Um, 
deal with the stress a little bit better rather than uh, screaming during meetings. So they learn over time because, you know what, my, my goal, uh, Boomer, is that uh, when you come to me as a client, I want to get you addicted to the feeling of wellness, right? Mm-hmm. So that when you get off kilter, you know that you really are uh, off kilter, right? And you want to go back to balance right away. And um, what um, most people realize is that this is not an overnight process. You know, um, the effects, for example, that while well, the effects of hormones will occur in about three months because they, uh, the red blood cells or the blood cells in general, they replenish themselves uh, every 90 to 120 days. So that's the, uh, the effect that's uh, 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 more quick that uh, comes. But uh, for nutrient uh, balancing, for example, when you balance the nutrients, uh, your nutrients are like your levels of CoQ10, your alpha lipoic acid, your B vitamins, and so on, that may um, uh, come only after six through nine months. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you have to be patient in doing this. And therefore, when you do this, you actually have to take a look at the lifestyle or your lifestyle if you're um, going to, to apply this to yourself. Uh, for example, I have CEOs who say, Dr. Ted, I cannot take three packets uh, of uh, supplements a day. Can you front load this? So we'll see what can be front loaded in the morning. However, you know, it does take a little bit of selfishness for wellness. You got to mm-hmm. take care of yourself first. You know, um, most uh, uh, moms and dads tell me all the time, you know, uh, well, you know, I have my kids to take care of and I have this to take care of and that. Well, if you get sick, you know, who's going to take care of them? You know, so you got to take, give some time for you to take care of you first mm-hmm. before you take care of someone else. And this is, this is automatic. You know, you know that the biggest problem with this kind of uh, balancing of your hormones and nutrients and metabolites inside the body is compliance. You know, uh, so yeah. you make it easy for the client to actually comply. And the only skill that's actually uh, needed are for the injectables. And it's easy to teach, you know. Um, as one, one um, uh, client of mine said, you know, she said, uh, Dr. Ted, you know, that's just a subcutaneous injection. That's not surgery. So mm-hmm. you could see the, the differences in perspective of people. Whereas, you know, some people, you have, you know, they, they, it takes months to, for them to overcome the fear of the needle. But you know yeah. what? Uh, especially in men, once they they get the benefit of it, including the testosterone injection, they are asking for when their next injection is going to be. And you say, okay, here it is. You have to learn how to do it yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, all of them learn how to do this. Uh, and when they travel, they come with a full set. With they, they, I issue them a PDF uh, prescription, mm-hmm. so they could actually show it. So you could cross uh, borders. Yeah. Yeah, so you can cross borders with them. That's excellent. <laughs> uh, I want to come back to some of these hormones in, in a little bit, but Dr. Ted, you have a crazy background, uh, yes, background bio. You know, you finished college at 18, medical school at 22. You've done a lot. And one of the th- questions that comes to mind when you see a bio like yours is, with what you've been able to accomplish, you must have a strong underlying purpose. Do you mind sharing what that that purpose or that drive really is for you to be able to accomplish all these things? 
Um, you know, my drive, uh, Boomer, comes from curiosity. Um, I am curious about the world that I live in. You know, uh, uh, I am curious about what things are, what they work, how we think about them, what other people think about them, you know, what people who oppose the current point of view think about it. And that drives me. Like, uh, for example, when um, I was, of course, an oddball being uh, in, in uh, first year college at 15 years old. But um, for, for me, in, for example, in biology, uh, that's why I, I uh, studied and my undergrad was in biology. It's, it's because I was curious about life in general. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was cu- uh, curious, like other than a philosophical definition of life, uh, you know, what is a biological definition of life? And then now, you know, what is uh, a definition of life in, in physics, you know, as, as we see it? So, uh, and then that translated to, you know, uh, going to medical school and, and then, um, then studying um, uh, pharmacology and toxicology, right? Because in medicine, we give drugs all the time. So I mm-hmm. said, why don't, you know, why aren't people more curious about, uh, about drugs? Why aren't doctors more curious about drugs, about what they are, what they do, how the body deals with them? And this is where, you know, uh, things before when I was beginning practice, um, it's actually quite interesting because uh, the doctors would call me and would say, Dr. Ted, how is your vitamin, mineral, hormone balancing going to affect my drug treatment? And I said, uh, you know, you have this all wrong. You know, uh, it's the other way around. <laughs> my vitamin, you know, my vitamins, minerals, uh, hormones have been seen by the patient's body in evolution, right? It sees all of these nutrients in food. Uh, However, your drugs uh, are actually a stranger to the body. So you have to tell me how your drugs are going to affect my balancing of the hormones and nutrients in the body, right? So (laughs) this kind of curiosity will actually uh, uh, allow you to give answers like that, which are perspective changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and, and then, uh, uh, after that, I, uh, actually, uh, trained in interventional neuroradiology because I was very much interested in, um, in the brain. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, initially I was very brain centric, uh, you know, it, uh, because that's what, that's what, um, uh, people who are in the top of their class are supposed to do. But, mm-hmm. um, but um, I, I, I quickly realized that uh, as a, the body is an integrated system, you know, it, it cannot be one or the other. Everything, you know, there is a saying here uh, in the Philippines, you know, that the, the, the pain of the pinky is the pain of the whole body. And, you know, uh, things like those should give you pause, you know, over the importance of one thing over the other. And then um, while in biology, um, what drove me to think um, actually more closely was when I took um, evolutionary biology and uh, uh, ecology were, were part of a network. What has disappeared, Boomer, in, in, uh, in our um, uh, living and thinking conditions today is that we are part of the environment. We shape the environment and the environment shapes us. Mm-hmm. And we have, we think we have control of the environment, but no, we don't. There are so many things about the environment that um, uh, that we don't know about, right? And how it shapes us. 
And all of these study now about, for example, the, the microbiota of the skin, the microbiota of your nose, and even of your cornea and so on, we see, we're only seeing now the effects of this, that we are actually being influenced by the environment more than we think we do. Uh, why do you think we have phototoxicity? You know, are you, because of the artificial light that we have created. Mm-hmm. So we created the science of coronabiology, uh, you know, to see how to we respond to light back cycles and so on. So there's this, uh, in, uh, um, if you maintain this kind of curiosity, then you will go on and on. You know, you, you jump from one thing to the other. And at um, George Washington University, um, I... Uh, um, my researcher was in artificial intelligence, and that's where I got into um, uh, connectionist systems was the way they call, we called it back then. And I realized that uh, they were calling it deep learning today. But, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, it's all in the marketing. Yeah, exactly. Somebody uh, had a different way to uh, trademark something, yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, so... Um, uh, so I wrote a book on the neural connections of a worm that they are using now extensively, actually, for a lot of anti-aging studies. And uh, it's a workhorse, in fact, for, for uh, longevity and anti-aging studies. Um, but I, I would just to say this as an aside, it's like I'm not a longevity doctor, right? I'm a quality of life doctor. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, C. elegans and... I basically did the first mapping of all the connections in its nervous system, right? Wow. Um, so, uh, uh, and, and then I did mathematical calculations on it. The way to think about it is, uh, remember there used to be a game called Six Degrees to Kevin Bacon? Yes, yes. Yes. So my, <laughs> so um, my assertion there is that in the brain, it's only three degrees, right? So... Mm-hmm. What in, in, in three neurons or less, uh, uh, a neuron knows what another neuron is doing. So the way to, to, to um, think about it is I was looking at what's called cellular automata, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, so, and so the way to visualize cellular automata is these are like ants, right? Uh, ants in an anthill. When you take a look at the ant itself, it's just performing something that you think is quite robotic, but it's actually quite alive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you think it has its own volitional behavior and so on. But when you see the colony that it creates and the complexity of all of that, which is a work of all of the ants together, so becomes one plus one equals three. And so I became intrigued by, you know, is consciousness in human beings uh, like an, an emergent property of complex systems? Or it, it, is it something that's actually wired? So mm-hmm. what I did with the worm was I took out all the circuits uh, from it. I, it, it, it. The circuit that says, now I feed, now I mate, now I crawl, you know. And so I said, and I was looking for, is there a main circuit that says, now I'm going to do all these things? Mm-hmm. And it turns out that there's none. And we could see now that uh, uh, these things are, are happening in, in, in the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet will have all its, its natural oscillations now. It's some of them are bad, some of them are good, but you, you see it actually having all of these emergent properties because it's become so complex. Um, one of the things that I've railed on very, very on, even before the development of the, the, the internet was commercialized. You know, when I was using the internet, 
um, uh, before, you would pose a question, hey, I'm doing a Navier-Stokes equation, and they would, you know, six Nobel laureates would actually answer you, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> gone are those days you can't do that anymore yeah you post that you post that on quora now you're going to get a bunch of col college students trying to interpret that yeah um and what i said before in a in a lecture that i made was that you know um the internet is is currently full of, of uh, irrelevant information right mm -hmm. it's noise and the signal to noise noise ratio um is actually quite low now so uh, is, is, uh, so, uh, whereas uh, the way I, I phrased it before is that if I farted in California, no one ever needed to know about it in Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. Right? Unless I was a gastric case where they they would need to know whether or not I have developed flatulence. So you know the the the, the um, so this 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 was a result of my. Um, you know, uh, research in artificial intelligence was uh, doing a lot of these connection systems. And as you see now, it's actually reflected in, in my practice. You know, much of the errors that we have made, for example, in anti-aging medicine is precisely we have given estrogen singly and suddenly you have cancers. You have given testosterone singly and then you have cancers. You know, these are all acting within a network and you cannot separate it from them. So if you... It, if you extend that further, um, one of the new concepts that I have introduced, uh, in fact, and which I will be talking about in my uh, uh, presentation in London mm -hmm. um, uh, that's coming up, is that you know when you're looking at uh, how we do things right now, even in illness medicine, you know, with all of the specialties, you're looking, they're looking at uh, essentially individuals in population. Right, so uh, the diseases uh, are actually looked at like, okay, what's my five-year mortality rate, and so on. So you're you're and and uh, that's how you do it. But for me, um, the what I want uh, physicians and and other health healthcare practitioners to look at, actually, and yourself too, mm -hmm. is to shift and take a look at the body, entire body as an ecosystem of organisms. Right, mm -hmm. we're an ecosystem of organisms, and all of those organisms at that level are cooperating, antagonizing, and doing all sorts of things to each other, right? So it's only recently, for example, that we have established that uh, mitochondria, which are the bacteria inside your cells that produce your energy, and microbiota, uh, majority, 78% of which is in your gut, and the rest is in, uh, in uh, elsewhere in your body, they talk. They have a they have a crosstalk by uh, various signal molecules. So, you know, the bacteria in your body are actually talking to each other. And this is, this is actually um, beyond your consciousness. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they've, been talking for, they've been talking forever. It's just that we're, we're just realizing it now. Um, a friend of mine who um, uh, founded the World Mitochondria Society uh, out of, uh, out of uh, Paris uh, actually said, you know, Ted, I believe we're just renters in this body. You know, the consciousness is renting from the bacteria. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so, um, so that kind of a point of view now has enabled us, you know, uh, to, see, to see us not as an, an individual organism, but rather we are an ecosystem of organisms. And that allows us to provide 
uh, better healthcare for ourselves, right? Look what the big the big thing right now is uh, is microbiota, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, all of these probiotics and so on and so forth, and we're going towards targeted probiotics uh, where they they take a look at your population sample. If you poop, if you lack certain um, organisms in there, um, in the near future they will be able to provide it for you. Right. So so these are the kinds of things that um, that um, uh, a, a point of view, uh, a point of view such such as that, which uh, uh, my colleague and uh, mentee Scott Share in another episode of you uh, yeah. of, of yours uh, mentioned, is that you know it's the holobiont. I was just know? gonna because it yeah. sounds very very similar to that concept yes. of holobiont. Well. I, I taught him that I, I taught him that word <laughs> <laughs> that that word exists mm-hmm. um, and it, it's different people say well no we're super organisms uh, no boomer a super organism is an organism that's made up of just one species of organism mm-hmm. right? but a holobiont is made up of different species of organisms now just uh, a brief history to your listeners is that actually our main cell, if you take a look at it, um, is actually composed of two cells, right? Uh, the, the one cell if in, in a very long time ago was a cell that could, not, that could produce energy without oxygen. Mm-hmm. And then it went into, into a relationship or symbiotic relationship with, um, with the mitochondria, which is another bacterium, right? And uh, the, the, the bacterium is actually able to use oxygen uh, to produce energy and it produces a lot more. For those in finance, you know, you might think that, oh my God, you know, there's such a harmonious relationship. No, actually it wasn't. Uh, the, the anaerobic bacterium or the one who couldn't produce uh, energy without oxygen wanted to steal the genes of the, of the mitochondria. That was the initial setup. That was the initial intent, uh, but due to rising oxygen conditions in the uh, atmosphere, you know, they went into a symbiotic relationship. So that's how the environment actually shaped their relationship, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like you know, if you're married and you're living with your in-laws, that will shape your relationship a different way than you're living away from them. Oh, that so, would be problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, this is how I, I, you know, we're so we're so unaware of how you know, our, our bodies are, are, are evolved this way, right? Uh, they evolved this way. So all of this, di- so uh, all of those dif- this different bacteria that comprise us are still, still maintain their bacterial quality to them, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, it's, not, it's not our fault because um, it, in terms of understanding it, I think before we did not have the technology to do it, right? Uh, to to understand this before you know what is a cell anyway you know it, we were introduced to it as a soup and it had all of this these chemicals in it and they bumped into each other and and it know, turns uh, out it's not flat <laughs> it, it, and it, it turns and not only that it turns out that it's a highly ordered and architectured factory you know mm-hmm. because now that we can take a look at it that way we could see how orderly the cell is how it has to uh, uh, keep producing energy in order to maintain its structure, so the microtubules can maintain its cytos- the, the can maintain the cytoskeleton of the cell, and so on and so forth. And this is another thing uh, about us and environment, right? Um, 
most of the chemical reactions are occurring in the cytoplasm of the cell, right? And this is the, the foreground, background uh, thing that, you know, we human beings tend to pay attention to the foreground. Like we pay attention to the um, uh, letters, uh, the, the words in a book, right? But we don't pay attention to the space of the printed page. Right? But if you mm -hmm. take a look at the poems of E.E. E. Cummings, for example, and how he positions the, the words in the page, and suddenly you realize that the background is as important as the foreground. Correct? Yeah. Um, I, I presented a paper many, many years ago, probably a couple of decades ago, in Guadalajara, and uh, I, I, it was on uh, how, long, how long is the present moment, like how many seconds is the present moment. Um, Oh, and, the, the, uh, this could go. So, Dr. Ted, this is this is fascinating because I also want to yeah. go back to some of the things you said on consciousness. But I would love to. Yeah. Let's hear about the paper first. Yeah. Um, no, that. Um, but how, in, how long is the present moment? But that's uh, exactly what I uh, what I was uh, talking about is that I propose there, and this is relevant to what we're discussing. Is that we are focusing on the brain signals, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the firing of the neurons. Everyone's talking about the synaptic firing, but where no one's paying attention to the silence between the signals, right? And I said, maybe there's some meaning to the silence between the signals. How come no one is paying attention to those? So I started paying attention to, to that, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and, and that became germane to a lot of the mathematics that I proposed uh, in my book. So... You know, uh, it's a very simple principle, uh, you know, that you can tease out. Uh, and uh, uh, in terms of, uh, like, for example, a fractal rule, right, is something very simple. Mm -hmm. If you are able to decode what those very simple rules are that repeat over and over, then you're likely to identify the larger pattern, although it will surprise you because a larger pattern is complex, you will actually see that the elements are actually quite simple. Okay. So uh, going... There's a few things that I want to talk about here because this fractal pattern and coming out of this, uh, can we back up just a little bit to, to consciousness in general and some of the work that you've done around the mathematical really approach uh, and mm -hmm. mathematical approach to consciousness, some of the listenership, and I, I come from this background as well and sort of the hyper-rational, we have this misconception of consciousness. Do you mind just uh, walking us through sort of what is consciousness and why, you know, this mathematical, how did you come to find really that mathematical approach? Like what were the patterns other than the fractal rule that you were starting to observe? Let's talk about elevating the human experience. If you're on a path to having an elevated human experience, at some point you're going to tackle the topic of cognitive enhancement. The product that I am most excited to see come online this year when it comes to cognitive enhancement, and Dr. Ted is not paying me to say this, is blue canatine. I had a chance to try blue canatine at Munich's Flowfest earlier this year, and it did not disappoint. My mind was clear. I was calm. My recall was great. And best of all, actually not best of all, it's just a fun experience. My mouth was blue. I went full on Smurf mode. If you want to try out blue canatine, head over to troscriptions.com. That's T-R-O-scriptions.com. And enjoy the rest of my conversation with Dr. Ted 
Achacoso. So we come, we uh, define, I define consciousness in a very practical sense, mm-hmm. right? It's that which disappears. I, 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 um, I define it by what it is not, right? It's that with, which disappears uh, when you sleep mm-hmm. or when you're under anesthesia, right? So uh, that's, that's my uh, practical definition of consciousness. Um, there is, that's very different from awareness, mm-hmm. you know, and there's difference from focused awareness and so on. Um, uh, the Nobel laureate Edelman actually uh, described consciousness in two parts. He said, one is the primary consciousness, which is the consciousness of the dogs who do not do, or your cats that do not do any symbolic processing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or if they do it, they do it very minimally. And so, you know, you've heard the saying, cats are your best Zen teachers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's primary consciousness. And then the secondary consciousness is that which is uh, narrated by your ego, the story that you keep. Mm-hmm. My name is uh, Dr. Ted. I like this. I don't like this. My boundaries are these, et cetera, et cetera. And that story is alive while you're awake, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's the other, the other consciousness that's there. But for me, that symbolic consciousness that's there, that's all uh, semantics, right? Mm-hmm. That's all semantics. That's all like the meaning of your life and, you know, what purpose I have and so on. That, that, that's all meaning, Right. I, fo- I was focusing on the syntax. What's producing this, mm-hmm. right? How do these circuits form? Why do they reverberate that way? Uh, you know, how do, they, how do they wire together such that they form these kinds of circuits? So I, I was looking at, well, what are the influences? Influences of evolution, influences of, of uh, uh, you know, uh, development during pregnancy, uh, and, and influences of your environment such that these things are wired. Uh, we already know, uh, for example, that uh, children that are given a hyper-stimulative environment um, develop a larger number of connections in the brain and therefore end up to have a much higher IQ rather than those who are uh, given uh, more sparse environments. And um, just as an aside, guys, this actually translates to addiction. Uh, and the study, for example, in... in uh, uh, Rats and nicotine, for example, uh, and not actually nicotine, rats and cocaine, rather, mm-hmm. uh, is that if you place a rat uh, with cocaine and in, a, in, in a, just a bare cage, you know, it will tend between the unspiked and spiked um, water, they will hit the spiked water all the time. But when you place them in a, a stimuli-rich environment where they are with in the company of other rats, Mm-hmm. In the company of other rats, where they can play with, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, they noticed that the cocaine spiked water was rarely touched, you know, because they had other things to focus on in their environment. So you could you could see here uh, that for for me, Boomer, that's how you observe things, right? You take a look at what's going on externally. Could mm-hmm. that map in internally? Right, mm-hmm. Be, but always being cognizant of the fact that the map not the terrain, right? So you're just forming maps of, if this is a behavior, can I map it to the firing of certain neurons? Mm-hmm. We now know that there are facial neurons, you know, if you hit them, certain faces appear. But at the same time, uh, there are also circuits, you know, circuits that go from one place to the other. And some of them are stronger than others, much like, you know, there is an Amazon, a Google, a Microsoft, and so on. There are certain centers 
uh, of these types of computation in your brain that do that. So how do we, how, how are those things wired and how do they produce you? Right. Mm -hmm. So, so for the, uh, for the primary awareness, there's no symbolic processing. Uh, uh, that's 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 going on. So that's dependent on your reticular activating system, whether or not you wake up, and so on. Um, uh, for example, um, uh, uh, if you are in a locked-in syndrome, uh, this is a the very scary syndrome where you are very aware and very awake, and you cannot move a single muscle. Right? Mm -hmm. It's one of the worst things that would happen to you. Uh, it just it just shows you that a person can be fully conscious uh, on the secondary level, but, you know, on and by definition, because he's breathing and everything else is functioning, except that he's fully engaged rather than in his own body, uh, shows you that there's a, a part of, uh, of the wiring of the primary consciousness that is actually essential to the rest of the body. So for the secondary functions to come up. Or for the secondary consciousness. So, um, and so when you're thinking of this, if the practical application of this boomer is meditation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When you're you're when you're meditating, you're actually shifting yourself to primary consciousness. Why do they want you to swat the thoughts away, or just accept them, or make them disappear like a cloud, or whatever? And the, the reason for that is that that symbolic processing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's done. And so you want to go back to the primary consciousness, which is which has no thought in it, and therefore no meaning. Uh, of course, the other the other danger, quote unquote, of uh, thought is that it fishes for your emotion. Like uh, you know, you 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 remember your quarrel with your boss, and suddenly uh, these thoughts come in, and suddenly the emotion comes in, right? Mm -hmm. And and. I could relate this very quickly now to, for example, the new forms of therapy for, for example, um, uh, PTSD would be like MDMA, right? Yeah. Or ecstasy. So that, that would separate, for example, the meaning from the actual semantics of the situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because of pure informational content versus the meaning of the content. So you could see how it, it fra quote unquote, fractalizes from those primary structures or connections into uh, trees that have that begin to have semantic uh, overtones until they have a full semantic um, tree uh, uh, on top of it. And that's the same way with health optimization medicine, right? Uh, one of the things that I say to coaches and all these other people who are uh, helping uh, coach performance, you cannot improve performance you cannot optimize performance without optimizing your health first in any in any in any situation whether or not you're you're you know you're uh, a ceo whether or not you're you're a, a elite player uh, or athlete or so on you have to optimize your health first before you can optimize the performance um the shorthand of that boomer mm -hmm. is that you have to master plain vanilla sex before you can become a porn star. Damn. Right? So that's, that's, <laughs> there's no shortcuts, it sounds like. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Koso, this is, there's, um, there, I, I wanted to inter uh, interrupt you because you're going and you provided the perfect segue into this. So, thank you. Health optimization medicine, you mentioned it a couple of times. 
And I do want to touch a little bit on that foundation that you just mentioned, but mm-hmm. what, what is health optimization medicine? Well, it's like this, okay? Um, in, in a simple definition, health optimization medicine is the detection and correction of the imbalances of the metabolites in the body. That's mm-hmm. a very simple definition. But it's like this. It comes from actually um, what illness medicine doctors do. They diagnose and treat disease, right? And in illness medicine, we only have one mantra, right? Our mantra is... Uh, you have to diagnose the disease, that's pathology, right? And then you give drugs, that's pharmacology, or you do surgery, which is surgery. So, you know, uh, and so you have for each, for each um, uh, area of study, like cardiology for the heart and uh, neurology for the brain and central nervous system um, and, and so on, um, you see that it's anatomy, physiology, pathology, and then pharmacology, surgery, over and over. It's the same thing at each specialty, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, um, uh, you know, you, you get a flat tire uh, in, in a car and uh, you can either change the entire tire and you have a heart transplant surgery, right? Or you can patch it and you have a coronary bypass graft. Or your engine is overheated and uh, you get antibiotics because you have an infection, um, you know, and your fever goes down. Uh, and so on. So we are actually taught uh, how to diagnose and repair, right? Mm-hmm. And but no one actually taught us how to maintain the body. The, I, I like to say that the cars are luckier these days because every 3,000 miles is a warning, right? Our bodies don't uh, have, a, have that warning. It's what they said. However, the technology has now developed such that we can now take a look what, at what's going on before disease sets in. And that's why I chose the, the uh, field of clinical metabolomics because it's 40 years old. It's now only coming to the clinics. You know, it doesn't have to be the base, but right now it's what we can use in effectively as a practical means in order to maintain health and prevent disease, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other part. So aside from, so health optimization medicine then is the clinical practice for maintaining health and preventing disease. So it's the missing part of, of medical education, right? Mm-hmm. So medical education, you have diseases all over the place. So in, in, in uh, health optimization, we, we focus on health. So I always uh, say this is that health is really uh, three elements, A plus B plus C, right? A is the absence of disease, which is illness medicine, right? Mm-hmm. right? And B is the balance between the... Uh, anabolic, meaning uh, uh, the processes that build, and catabolic, the processes that destroy, uh, according to C, the life cycle of the organism. So health equals A plus B plus C. And uh, health optimization medicine uh, actually does uh, B plus C, right? Which Mm -hmm. is the balance between the anabolic and catabolic processes. Now, at what level do we do that is the important question. Whereas, uh, for example, in illness medicine, you do it by the organ, right? Here we do it in the level of the cell. Mm-hmm. So you do it at the level of the holobiont, in fact. Not just the level of the cell, but the level of the uh, holobiont, the cell and its interactions uh, with all the other cells surrounding it. Mm-hmm. So, and, and uh, the, before, we used to just memorize, for example, the, the metabolites of the Krebs cycle, right? That produces your ATP. Now you could actually measure them 
and you could measure what the cofactors or the vitamins that are needed to actually make the the cycle go uh, a little bit more uh, optimal to produce more to produce more energy for you. It, right? They usually these are the B vitamins mm-hmm. um, that you need. Right, that's why the B vitamins are called the energy vitamins because they impact that cycle. But because of the march of technology, we can now detect. You know what the, those levels are and how much of these vitamins that you will be needing or how much additional cofactors you will be needing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it, it, it may be that in the future, it may not be metabolomics that will be the, the, the level by which you diagnose. It may be, hey, um, you know, um, at the quantum level, you know, you may have quantum diagnostics. Oh, that, that, that would be really exciting. <laughs> and when we get there, I want you back on the show because this is... <laughs> Uh, so uh, just to point people to the episode with Scott on the metabolomics side, we go a little bit into why health optimization medicine does use metabolomics there. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that you brought up, Dr. Ted, and this is a question that uh, people have come to ask in terms of testing B vitamins and measuring the Krebs cycle. I know you guys mentioned the use of the, or Scott mentioned the use of the NutriEval and yes. Looking at B vitamin levels, uh, there's some controversy whether or not B12 can be measured through a test. What what is your response to that? Okay, um, as as anyone who's interested in evolution is, mm-hmm. you know, I will give an evolutionary point of view. Uh, more more like a cognitive uh, a cognitive bias point of view. Okay, right? uh, um, it, it's like this. There's a, a cognitive bias called um, chauffeur information. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, you, you know that cognitive bias, right? Oh, yes. Uh, um, where uh, Max Planck and his chauffeur. You know, that it, it's such a great story, but if you're willing to just but, share it for people who are listening. So anyway, um, Max Planck was uh, uh, lecturing all over Germany with his uh, chauffeur uh, on, on the you know, uh, his, uh, the, the quantum uh, uh, physics uh, that he was espousing at the time. So they've delivered the lectures to so many universities already, and the drive, the chauffeur was always present, that such that he has already memorized uh, all the lectures, all the questions, all the answers, and so on. So when he was going to lecture in Munich, um, you know, um, the driver said, uh, hey, let's play a, a game. You know, why don't I dress up as you and you as me since they, know, they don't know who you are? Um, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll deliver the lecture. And so, uh, so the chauffeur delivered the lecture through aplomb, you know, with a standing ovation and so on. Mm-hmm. And then the question and answer came and he was able to answer the questions brilliantly um, because he's memorized all the answers. And then, um, and then a very difficult question came. Uh, and he said, oh my God, he said, that's such an easy question. He said, even my chauffeur can answer it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there are many purveyors of chauffeur information out there. I, mm-hmm. you know, what you need to do is why don't you try it yourself in the clinics? Mm-hmm. Right? This is the same, the same is true with the allergics, with the, uh, sensitive food sensitivity tests and so on and so forth. It's the best that we have. Mm-hmm. So the first question that I have is, have you used it? You know, have you had good results with it? Mm -hmm. If medicine is eclectic and pragmatic, you know, healthcare is eclectic and pragmatic. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. 
right? Mm -hmm. But from what I found in the 10 years that I've been using it, it works. So for me, to get the results that I'm getting for my clients is good enough for me, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, uh, so, uh, so you can, you can, you know, do a lot of intellectual masturbation on how <laughs> the process is and, and, and so on and so forth. But in the end, there is a patient or a client in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do to this? You're not going to argue in your head. Should I give this test? Should I give this test? You give what's available for testing mm -hmm. and then you do your assessment, right? Uh, and, and then you do your assessment and you exercise your, you, you exercise your, it doesn't mean exercise uh, some prudence in, in, in the matter, but it doesn't mean that you don't do your studying, right? Mm -hmm. Because technologies actually uh, evolve over time. I, I was lucky enough uh, with mentors, uh, actually, Boomer. Mm -hmm. I was uh, mentored by, by the guy who started medical informatics all over the world. I was an assistant professor of medical informatics uh, at George Washington University wow. uh, for quite a while. And in that same uh, building where I worked, uh, in my uh, 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 the floor um, above me was the lab of uh, a certain Dr. Pittberger. He started the whole vector, uh, uh, the, the reading of vector electrocardiography or the EKGs that you're, you're getting now. Yeah. He started automating the reading of that. So, and then now we, we sort of like, what kind of machines are these that don't read automatically, right? But the beginnings of those are uh, uh, during this time. So it's the same thing with this. You know, we're just, we're learning, we're accumulating all of this and these things work. You know, we know that these things work. We know that these things don't, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and you know that health is a very individual thing, yeah. right? It's, um, it's a very individual thing. It's, it's not a one size fits all thing. And like in disease, in disease, your, all of your antibiotics should work across the population, right? Your intervention should work across the population. And the thing that I lament about, really, is that, for example, the mental health guidelines, the diabetes guidelines, the cardiology guidelines in illness medicine are so long, and they just, you know, it's just impossible for, for a person to look at them. It's because their guideline is actually looking at mortality rates. But when you're looking at it as a, as a person in terms of health, you have to adjust everything and take a look at it from that individual point of view, the ecosystem that's individual, right? And that's why when you're looking at, uh, the, for example, the, 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 um, all the tests that's, that you're using in here, it's like, you know, am I making an impact on the patient? I, it, it, for example, even if it, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to, can I use it for monitoring, mm -hmm. right? Can I, can, can I monitor it? So, it doesn't mean that because a test isn't perfect, it doesn't mean that it couldn't be used, right? Otherwise, most of the laboratory tests that we're using today wouldn't have been developed. And same, right? th same thing with uh, wearable technology, right? Just... Yes, yes. Uh, the, in terms of those gadgets. I like, for example, I've, I'm, I wear the Aura Ring, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so on. It's like they had to adjust their, uh, not, well, not only the size of their ring, but they, they, they had to adjust, uh, you know, their algorithms, mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, because I was getting like uh, unusual amounts of, of sleep. And I have, a, I have an EEG at my house. You know, it's one of my toys. That, uh, I use <laughs> so, my, sounds like I should come over and play it, Dr. Kirk. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, these are the things that you, you correlate with, you know, but you're patient because, you know, they're trying to do the best they can you know, with uh, doing nanotechnology and doing all of this uh, miniaturizing a lot of, a lot of things. Um, 
you know, it, uh, speaking of miniaturization, just an aside, I consulted for, uh, for an investment fund before, and they asked me about Theranos, you know, the failed $9 billion. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, I actually refused. I said, microfluidics is not at that level. You know, I was given grief by that fund for two years until the whole thing started unraveling. And they said, Dr. Ted, thank you very much for not letting us invest in that yeah. company. Yeah. But, but anyway, um, there, there are things like those. So you have to be prudent uh, as regards what you use and what you don't use. But if something has already been done for, say, a decade or more, you, know, you at least have confidence that they already have ironed out a lot of things. What is more important is establishing now what are the ranges that are optimal to you. Mm-hmm. And that's why for, for me in health optimization medicine, I settled on the age 21 to 30, which, uh, which is supposed to be the range where all of your hormones, nutrients, et cetera, are optimal um, and your body's reproducing and you're supposed to be at the top of your game. In fact, the way I, I joke people is that, for example, if there is a, a 27-year-old that shows me his rip abs and so on and so forth, I said, you should be looking that way, you know? Try looking like me when you're 58. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's just like it's become a norm for us to say, oh, you know, this, uh, you, you have this, the, all this body weight, and then suddenly at 27, you get ripped and so on, and it's a miracle. No, fuck that. You know, you're supposed to look that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that's supposed to be your, your natural self, right? Uh, and uh, it just shows you how the how how the environment has actually reshaped you into how you are, your work environment, um, the the uh, the stuff that you eat, and so on, and how we have tinkered with all of the uh, sources of food, uh, the sources of light, uh, sources of electromagnetism. You know, they all affect you, and there you are, highly inflamed, obese. You know. <laughs> Um, and you know, all, what you can do is in a practical way, how do you mitigate that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, for example, let, let me give uh, um, an example for testing, right? Right now we can actually measure cytokines for inflammation, right? And a major cytokine for inflammation, of course, is NF-kappa-B, right? Mm-hmm. However, that's very expensive and not all hospitals will do it, right? So you get a simple test like... HSCRP or high sensitivity CRP, which can be requested. It's very inexpensive, right? So instead of getting the regular CRP, get the high sensitivity CRP, and you could already have a gauge of your body's inflammation. Mm-hmm. So you know that when you've been partying too much and you know you lack sleep, etc., you're expecting that HSCRP to go back up. So when you're actually um, uh, uh, sleeping well. Uh, and and uh, eating well and so on, you could see that your body inflammation goes down. Very simple. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, I, I like to use the oxidative stress panel, um, you know, of uh, of the metabolomics lab mm-hmm. um, because it shows you your glutathione levels, you know, your CoQ10 levels, your your capacity of the body to detoxify, um, you know, uh, your uh, how fast your membranes are rusting because oxidation is basically rusting of your cell membranes, right? Mm-hmm. It shows you how fast your DNA is rusting and making you predisposed to cancer, right? So, uh, so overall, it shows you how fast you're aging. When I was training in Paris, you know, uh, the T-bar test or the 
how fast your cell membranes were rusting was the only test that we had, right? Mm-hmm. But now we, we, are, we have all of these tests that, that help us. So, uh, so, I, I, uh, so I have a very healthy attitude towards these new tests. You know, uh, before you open your mouth, a, make sure that you're practicing, or A, B, you're the researcher who actually created the product. Yeah. And, you know, and then, uh, and then see if it works. If it doesn't, then don't use it. If, it, if you try it in, in 10 of your clients or patients and it works for nine of them, then, you know, it's a, you, you, you judge that. You know, as a clinician, you're able to, to do that. You can correlate it with other tests, right? Absolutely. And, and there's a phrase out there in a functional medicine world. And this actually sparks uh, another question that I would love to ask you. Okay, throw your hands up if your mind's about ready to explode. Dr. Ted is amazing. He's knowledgeable about so many facets of life and we're only scratching the surface with him. This is just the first half. And I loved covering topics like dynamic systems as well as mathematics of consciousness. Next week, we're going to get in so much more. Things like psychedelics. We're going to talk about health optimization medicine. And we are going to get into trochies and blue canatine. Again, the show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash home, as in health optimization medicine. That's H-O-M-E. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with everybody you know. Throw it out on all your socials. But also head over to iTunes and leave us a rating. Leave us a five-star rating if you don't mind and a comment along with it. Love to hear from you guys. Superhumans, have an absolutely epic day.